0: Hello and welcome to Get Flushed, the sanitation podcast. My name's Pete and I'll be your host. I was hoping to bring you another catch-up episode with one of the guests from season one this week, but everyone in the restroom industry is absolutely rushed off their feet at the moment. They're all in desperate need of an eight-day week and a month-long holiday. Clearly, those two things are not compatible, so my schedule has slipped a little. Rather than miss a week, I thought I would share the live recording I made last weekend for the Podcasters Collective on Facebook. I won't say too much more as I think I explained everything during the broadcast but hopefully this will give listeners an insight into how Get Flushed started, how the show has evolved, what goes on behind the scenes and where I think Get Flushed will go in the future. I'll start the broadcast after this link but first I'd like to thank everyone who wished me and the show a happy birthday or sent messages of congratulations last week. Okay 10 o'clock let's get going. Hi, my name's Pete, and I'm the host of Get Flushed, the sanitation podcast. I'll point out this is the first time I've broadcast live on Facebook, so hopefully everything's working okay. I'm recording at my end, so if it all goes to pot, I'll upload the audio file at the end as soon as I'm done. I joined the podcast collective a couple of months ago, and I saw Tom's announcement about the Sunday showcase, so I thought I'd put my hand up and I'd have a go. The brief's pretty loose. I'm able to talk about anything and everything that I want to, but I've got to do it live. So here I am. And today I thought I would just tell my story as a podcaster. If you've not listened to my show, it's about as niche as it gets. As far as I'm aware, it was the first and only podcast that was published weekly and dedicated to the world of portable toilets. Now that might sound quite disgusting, but It's a really viable topic because the portable restroom industry is valued at over $20 billion a year, and it is truly global. I started the podcast when I saw an advert for the My Roadcast competition during lockdown last year. Mm -hmm. Everyone in New Zealand was locked down for six or seven weeks, and I saw the advert, which simply said, record two minutes of your podcast idea. So I did, I'd had a couple of beers one night, I sat down with my mobile phone, I used the my Roadcast app on my iPhone and I recorded a couple of minutes, not off the cuff because I did write the script first, but I put my entry together and I submitted it. Now of course I didn't win, but the competition was a springboard that I needed to start the show and continue producing episodes and I'm currently, I think I'm up to number 50, I released episode 50 yesterday. And I decided to create a podcast about portable toilets because I'd been working in that sector and I've had some pretty terrible experiences. I'm sure everyone will identify when you go to an event or a festival and you open the door on the portable toilets and you just roll back with a big woo and you decide not to go there. And my aim was to ask through the podcast, why was it like that? And to challenge the market because it really doesn't need to be like that. Toilets can be clean and fresh smelling and they don't need to be overflowing. So I started a podcast really as my attempt to just get to grips and tackle those issues that I'd experienced and seen. Before I go any further, it's probably useful if I play the two minute roadcast entry, because I think that will really set the scene for what happened. Now, hopefully this will come through. Hello and welcome to Get Flushed, the portable sanitation podcast. My name's Pete and I'll be your host. Over the course of this series, we're going to take an in-depth look at the world of portable sanitation. Yes, it's about how we deal with poos and wheeze in the absence of a plumbed-in sewerage system. I've worked in that industry, and I've learned that everyone can recognize a portable toilet, but not many people understand or know how the industry works. Whenever I tell people what I do, they usually say, Oh, I never use portable toilets. They stink. And that initial reaction was the main reason why I wanted to produce this podcast. Let's be honest, we've all opened the door on an overflowing port loo and seen terrible things inside, and we've all decided we'll hold on till we get home. My experiences, though, have taught me that it doesn't have to be like that. A properly cleaned and well-maintained portable toilet can be a relief, if not a pleasure to use. Over the course of the series, we'll look at how operators make sure the right person is in the right truck taking the right toilet to the right place at the right time, and how they continue to keep it clean once it's been delivered. We're going to analyse the market and think about different products and how they're deployed to best meet customers' needs. That includes some of the new and emerging technologies that are being developed by operators around the world. We'll have regular guests, including drivers and operators who work on the front line of portable sanitation protecting public health. So, please click the link and subscribe to make sure you join us for episode one to follow. So, that was my Roadcaster entry, and I recorded that just on my iPhone. I did have a SmartLav microphone, which I'd had because I'd done some previous video work. To help me through today, I thought I would talk about four main areas the content, the production, and equipment marketing, promotion, how I got listeners and guests to come on board, and then sponsorship, because the podcast has been pretty successful financially. Now, they're quite loose headings, and there's actually a little bit of overlap between the four, but let's go and see how it goes. And I'll start with content. I've released a new episode every week, usually on a Thursday for my patrons and on Saturday for everyone else. And my episodes have ranged from 10 or 15 minutes long up to about an hour. But when I started the show and put that trailer together, that roadcast competition entry, I didn't have a plan. I didn't know how many episodes were viable. I didn't know the length of the episodes. I mean, I'd, I'd never recorded or published a podcast before, and I genuinely didn't know whether or not the show would get any listeners. And I certainly didn't know how to edit audio, but I was really excited and enthusiastic. And the whole thing just snowballed really quickly. After that competition entry went in, I put together two or three episodes and I tried to give them a linear and logical flow. I spoke about the history of portable toilets, how they work, how the cabins are assembled, how they're cleaned. I went out and actually put one together and recorded the audio. I've got a friend who runs a business. We recorded some audio of assembling the cabin. We spoke about the chemicals that operators use and toilet paper. All of the things that you take for granted when you use a restroom. And from day one, I wrote a longhand script for each episode. I typed it out on Word and I still do that today unless I have a guest. And if I have a guest, I normally sketch out some ideas about where I'd like the conversation to go, but I let it flow and then I edit the content down afterwards to take out the ums and ahs and the repeated filler words and then the unnecessary spaces. The good thing about writing a script is that you can practice the phrases in your head as you're typing them. And I've got quite good at getting the words down on paper that I can actually say when I first started I would type a phrase and then I'd need to do 50 or 60 takes to get it right and I soon learned that there are some structures that you need to avoid when you're putting your script together and originally I, I maybe thought that I'd get 10 or 12 episodes out once I put those first few together I thought I'd get 10 or 12 episodes out but then I signed up with a sponsor And the show sponsor is Sanitrax International. They're a Dutch company with um, representatives in the US and Europe. And they've been really, really great to work with. I'm going to come back to Sanitrax and talk about how that agreement came together a bit later on. After I signed that sponsorship deal, I thought I'd do 20 episodes. And that actually stretched out in season one to 33 And that's a really unusual number. Why was it 33? Well, the show was featured on Podbean as the podcast of the week in mid-December. And I wanted to make sure that I had live material going out to support that promotion. And that really paid off because I had a very healthy lift in listenership once I'd been featured on that. And I definitely put together a plan for season two and three. I'm 15 episodes into 20 episodes season two. And then I'm going to have a break in July and come back in August with another 20 episodes for season three and I've definitely sketched out a schedule for those and mapped some preliminary content that's bound to change as the world change we've seen this year massive changes in the portable sanitation industry because of covid and I've been able to adapt the show and focus the show on some of the issues that suppliers and manufacturers are facing as that's all unfolded and I'm sure that's going to happen as I get into season three through to the end of the year the one thing that I've realized running a niche podcast is that if you go an inch wide and a mile deep, you're never going to run out of material. There are always people in the industry want to talk. There are always issues going on. And let's face it, sanitation, everyone uses a toilet. They might not want to talk about it, but the depth of material is just unlimited. I'll move on to production and equipment. I recorded the first couple of episodes, as I said, just using my phone and a Rode Smart Lab and the Rode Reporter Act. I realized that I needed to edit because I I couldn't get things down properly in one take. And I'd already done some work previously. I play guitar and i had done some work with GarageBand. So I was pretty familiar with GarageBand and messing around with that. So I kind of knew the basics, but I started to watch a load of YouTube videos and learn a little bit more about editing. And around that time, Apple started to offer a 90-day free trial on Logic Pro, So I downloaded that and tried it. And I'll be honest, the first takes, I didn't have a clue. I didn't know how to set the interface up. I didn't know how to port the channels in. Certainly didn't understand the plugins. And it was pretty daunting. But I carried on and I I just took my time, watched loads more YouTube videos, read lots of tutorials. And slowly through trial and error, I figured it out. And I've really grown to love Logic Pro. It's my default digital audio workspace. And I bought the full license once I'd secured the sponsorship money. I think it was about $350, something like that, in New Zealand. I've done some editing now for other podcasters, and I've been paid for that, which has been really good. I've been able to get a little bit of the money back that I spent. And I've just bought my first plugins, which were the community bundle from Isotope, which is currently on special at $49. And it's a massive pack. I've already used the D-noise and the D-clip. I had some audio, which... One of my guests had a, a click, click, click noise in the background. I think it came from their end, but I couldn't get rid of it using Logic Pro. And the Isotope plugins. really helped me clean that up. For microphones, I started with an old AKG mic that I had when I played saxophone in a <laughs> ska band years ago. And I had that on a tall mic stand, the sort of thing that you'd use when you're playing a gig, and it, it worked, but it, it was a little bit unwieldy. I was at the desk in the office with the microphone on a boom arm, and I plugged everything through my Scarlet Solo, which I'd had from playing guitar, into my MacBook. And that worked, but the audio from that mic wasn't really suitable for spoken vocals. It was designed for instruments, so it, it, it didn't sound quite right. It sounded a bit ghostly. And it was hard to get the audio to sound exactly how I wanted it to. It was useful having that Scarlet solo because I actually used that to record the theme tune, which I played at the start. And this little jingle I'll just play now. I use that as punctuation to break up the show and, and help me structure it, really. But I recorded those using the guitar into Logic Pro through the Scarlet. And my first major podcast purchase was a Rode NT1A mic. I can't really explain why I chose that. It was on recommendation from the guys at the music shop that I use in town. And I put that on the stage stand, but it's quite heavy and it tipped over. So I invested in a Rode PSA1 boom arm that I could use on the desk. And subsequently, since then, I've bought a Rodecaster Pro. I'm using the sponsorship money. I've added a couple of pod mics, such as the one I'm using today, a travel case, some desk stands, and a couple of Clark Technic CT1 mic boosters. And there's lots of debate online about whether or not you need a booster with a pod mic. But I find that the wave signal from a pod mic in Logic isn't very high and it makes it really hard. You I've got my specs on, it makes it really hard to edit because it's such a narrow waveform. And the Clark Technic CT ones are about a third of the price of the um, cloud lifters and they do the same job. So they work pretty well for me. Now, I've got the travel case and the pod mics because, you might gather from my surroundings, we're on the road. We've been living in a caravan touring New Zealand for the last six months. as me, my wife, my daughter, and the dog, and this is my mobile studio. I record everything at the moment in the caravan. I've taken the gear on domestic flights. I flew up to Auckland to interview guests in July, August last year, and I go out to interview podcast guests in their office space and use that audio in the show. So it's really important to be mobile. If I was to buy everything again, I think I'd go for a Zoom pod track, maybe a P4, possibly a P8, but I'm unlikely to need eight channels. And I would do that because the pod tracks are really small and versatile, lightweight, and the roadcaster in the case with the mics is actually quite a weight. I'd put it in the overhead locker on the plane, but the air hostess rolled her eyes and wasn't particularly impressed that I brought on this full-size briefcase. Probably a good point to move on to marketing and promotion. And I'll split this between listeners and guests. I appreciate that. Having a very niche, self-funded, independent, industry-specific podcast makes it really tough to attract listeners. People will see the title, oh, it's about toilets. And that's not a popular podcast topic. I'm honest enough to admit that. I'm not famous. My guests aren't famous. And I talk about toilets. So the listenership is not huge compared to your Joe Rogans and everybody else. But the listenership is pretty consistent. Every episode gets a hundred listens on the first day and then it continues to build through the rest of the week until I launch the next episode. Now, I'm pretty active on social media, and I push hard in all the sanitation industry groups and forums and the rooms, the podcast groups, and wherever else I think I might be able to gather listeners. I did recently join the Portable Sanitation Association, which is the industry voice in North America. I joined that as an international supplier, and I've managed to get their chief executive, Carlin Cost, to appear on the show as a guest. And all of that has helped me to build up an industry following and, and a reputation in the sanitation industry that's now starting to pay dividends. I use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Clubhouse. I don't do LinkedIn. Everyone keeps telling me I should, but I've never used it, and I'm not super desperate to use LinkedIn at the moment. But one thing you'll notice is that I use the podcast identity Pete from Get Flushed. Now, Pete is actually my real name, but I've separated the podcast Pete from the Me Pete. And I've done that because I didn't want to be overwhelmed. I didn't know whether or not the show would actually have any legs and continue to grow. But I'd like to be able to turn it off. Um, My family will tell you that I don't turn it off very often, but in my head I do. And I keep my personal identity and the podcast identity as far apart as I can. Just because, I, I, I'll be honest, I don't want my personal Facebook feed to be overwhelmed with toilet talk and posts from pumpers and whoever else. I did start a Patreon page quite early on. I offer early access and bonus material, and I've currently got that set at $6 a month. I did have it set at $3 a month. Nobody signed up for that. I've been told to push it even higher. I'm comfortable at 6 It's not a lot of revenue, and I've not got a lot of patrons But I use that because I've got a relationship with the patrons where I release the early episodes on a Thursday. And if there's anything wrong with the audio, they'll let me know straight away. So a couple of times I've had miscues when I've edited. I've maybe not lined things up and I've got a bit of over-talking. Or I've had a repeat segment where I've copied and pasted and I've not deleted the original. And it's really useful to have that relationship with the patrons so that they'll come back and let me know that hey, Pete, you just need to go back at seven minutes and have a look at what you've done there. I did set up a, a stream or a, an opportunity in the Patreon page for people to pay me a, a lump sum for a one or two hour consultation. I've got quite a bit of expertise in the sanitation operations field, and I set that up. No one signed up for it, but I have had several sponsors pay me through PayPal. There's a PayPal button on my Podbean page, which is set to online, And I've had a couple of people actually pay more than once, and uh, make regular donations through the season, which has been really helpful because it might only add up to a few hundred dollars, but it's useful income and it's helped me pay for things like the Isotope plugins. And it's just taken the pressure off worrying about, am I going to be able to continue to pay for the Podbean hosting platform if my sponsorship runs out next year? I've run a few email campaigns. I have spent a few days gathering every email address for every portable toilet company I can think of and sent emails to all of those with links to the homepage, to Apple and Spotify. I think they work, but I did get a lot of notifications to say that emails didn't exist or my email was bounced back because it had been flagged as spam. I haven't tried cold calling, but that may be a logical step. One thing that I have learned from this is that a lot of people, and maybe it's typical of the rest of the population, but a lot of people in the sanitation industry don't know what a podcast is, and they've never listened to a podcast, and they don't really understand the purpose of a podcast. So that's been a real big challenge to get over that hurdle. One of the other big wins that I had was the show was featured on the podcast Radio Hour on BBC Radio 4 in London, probably in September, October last year that was pretty cool. And, and the way it came around was that the host of that show posted on Twitter that she was going to run an episode on niche podcasts. And I jumped in and said, Hey, you don't get much more niche than toilets. And she replied and said, Hey, can we feature the show and ask me which episodes would I like them to use? And they cut actually two minutes of the show and posted that. And, and I did see a decent spike in listeners as a result of appearing on that show. And it was good that, you know, a small independent podcaster in New Zealand like me can get that sort of traction through a a big corporate organization like Radio 4 and the BBC. In terms of guests, I've never really had any problems attracting guests. I sometimes struggle with timing. As I said, I'm in New Zealand and the time zone is different. Most of the guests so far have been overseas, either in Europe, America or Africa. But I've managed to get around that. I've done a couple of recordings at silly o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. I spoke to Jack Sim, who's the head of the World Toilet Organization, ready for World Toilet Day on November the 16th. And I think I spoke to him at gone midnight here and it was maybe 6 p.m. in Singapore where he was. I get over that. I record using whatever platform works. The episode I published this weekend went out. It was just a telephone call, uh, mobile to mobile. Just use my phone. And I phoned David Pipkin, the guest. He's in Florida. In the past, I've used WhatsApp, FaceTime, you name it, I've had a go. And the audio quality, in the main, it's, it's pretty good. The worst audio that I had was with a guest, Guy Smith at Hiralu in Australia. That was a phone conversation, and it, it was really poor. The audio just didn't work, and whatever we tried, we eventually nugged it out. The, the best audio was if I did a screen share on my Mac, and he just spoke into his MacBook. That was the best, cleanest audio that we managed to get. In terms of guests, one of the other cool things that I've been able to leverage through the show is that I have been paid to produce half a dozen episodes by client guests. So these are typically software companies or toilet operators or suppliers who want to be featured on the show. And that's starting to happen more and more often. And again, on top of the other sponsorship, that's been really helpful income because it has allowed me to develop the show, pay for the new artwork. I've been able to buy merchandise and I do send every guest a get flushed mug to say thank you. I've had some baseball caps done and I've given those away to a few listeners and guests. And it's been really cool to be able to monetize the show in that way. I don't know how many other podcasters managed to do that with not massive numbers. If if you're attracting 30,000, 40,000 listeners a week, then inserted ads would make a lot of sense. But for me, it really doesn't. I like to keep the show as clean as possible. I have a pre-roll for Sanitrax, I have a mid-roll for Sanitrax, and then I mention them in the end. And that's probably a good opportunity to start talking about the sponsorship arrangement. I would have made Get Flushed if I'd have had to pay for everything on my own. I think every podcaster secretly hopes that their show will attract money, but you'd be foolish to take that as a given and, and build your show around the fact that you think you're going to earn some money. I was really lucky after six or seven episodes, I signed a deal with Sanitrax that came about because I was contacted by Dave Andres, who was the Sanitrax is the Sanitrax rep in North America. Dave emailed me and said, Hey, we're a fairly new company in the sanitation space. I'm listening to your podcast. It seems a really good fit. Can we talk? And I think the first conversation I had with Dave was a whatsapp conversation it was maybe six o'clock on saturday evening we started talking here in new zealand and i was still talking to him at 10 o'clock at night we, we just hit it off straight away and dave helped me develop the sponsorship proposal and sanitrax signed up for the first season um, with a fairly significant financial investment that's been really helpful because it paid for the equipment and it allowed me to really concentrate on building the show and taking it as far as i've been able to take it But they were also really helpful because they're an industry supplier. They were able to put me in touch with a lot of companies and individuals around the world who've turned into guests and supporters of the show. They give me ideas for content and feedback on what I've done so far. And it's been really great to be part of that Sanitrax family. When I wrote the sponsorship proposal, I had no idea what the value was. At the time, I might have only had five or 600 listens in total. I had no idea what the value was, no idea what they were willing to pay, and no idea really what they wanted to get out of that relationship. And I put some ideas on paper. Dave helped me refine those. And I really worked out the the value based on what I thought I needed to buy in terms of equipment to be a full-blown, permanent, full-time, on-the-go podcaster. I'm really grateful that Sanitrax signed up for that. And they've given me pretty much free reign to talk about what I want to talk about. I send them a draft outline of what's involved. I send them stats reports. I send them a list of everyone who's friended me or sent me messages on Facebook. I don't gather email addresses. I've, I've not got a vehicle to do that. I've been advised that that would be a really good thing to do if I set up the Get Flush group, gather email addresses, and then maybe monetize those. But I do collect lots of data and stats through things like Apple Podcast Connect, Google Analytics, and then just Facebook hits and interactions. I get download the report every month. And the deal that I signed with Sanitrax was for a number of episodes, for the pre-roll, the mid-roll, and the end-roll, and basically to share and support in terms of social media. And they've been really cool because they run press releases, they help with content. I'm hoping to put together a couple of special features about Sanitrax over the next couple of weeks, and then again for Season 3. And Dave Andres has actually become a real good personal friend. We've been doing quite a lot of work together in other arenas which wouldn't have happened if I'd not started the podcast and Dave hadn't heard it and seen my posts on Facebook. So it's been a good story for me. I did set up a limited company, and that's not really necessary, but it does offer a few benefits such as liability protection. And it helped me establish all the copyright and IP and establish the fact that that rest would get flushed. Having a company has also helped me establish my presence within the sanitation industry. I'm not just a a random Pete talks about toilets anymore. I'm Pete from Get Flushed. And that started to have some leverage. And I've actually done a few deals to supply other companies with operational procedures. And I released a video on my Facebook page where I use an app to help operators track their toilets in terms of the deliveries, the services and the pickups that drivers make. Losing paperwork's a real drama in the industry, and I could tell you lots of war stories about that. And I've been able to develop this app. It's a proprietary app available on, online through the App Store, but I've been able to develop templates within that app. And I wouldn't have been able to do that, I don't think, if I'd just been me, Pete. Back to the sponsorship agreement, I did write that myself. I tweaked it with Dave a bit, and I changed it a little bit for Season 2 and 3. But to be honest, it, it's served me really, really well. And Sanitrax has been a dream partner. I send them an early release of each episode and they pretty much let me say what I want to say. There's never been any issue around, oh, Pete, we don't want you to talk to that customer or that client. We don't want you to feature that guest. It's been a real pleasure to work with Marcel, the owner of Sanitrax, Dave and the rest of their team. And as I said, having that financial support has meant that I've not had to worry about paying for any extra software or equipment or or upgrading the podcast plan. And it's let me buy the merchandise, the hoodie, the T-shirt, the baseball caps and pay for the artwork, which was um, the new logo with the toilet and the headphones was done by my friend Chad Baker, who's over in the States. It's just how it works these days. In terms of mid-roll and inserted adverts, I haven't gone that way. I have signed up, and I've got an account with outfits like mid-roll and Audrey. But I don't know whether I'm being too modest, but I don't think my show would attract enough listeners to make that revenue from those ads worth my while. And I wouldn't want to burden my listeners with an inserted advert that runs for 30 seconds, and I'm not even going to earn $15. So I keep the show as clean as possible. And I've started with the patrons if it's an interview, they get an ad-free audio file without any of the blurb, without the intro music, just the the interview audio. I've been told that appearing on other podcasts is a really great way to grow the show, and people keep telling me that I need a LinkedIn profile, which I'm not super keen to do, that I'm not familiar with the LinkedIn platform, so I've got enough juggling all the rest. But I am really keen to collaborate with other podcasters. I've made some brilliant contacts over the last few months on clubhouse and if you're not a clubhouse listener or user flick me a note you need an iphone unless you're in the uk there is a an android app available for clubhouse in the uk at the minute but if you're an iphone user and you want to come into clubhouse flick me a note and i've got a handful of free invitations that i'm more than happy to share and i've met some really great people on clubhouse there's a guy called Zeno who's a printer who's going to come on the show soon and talk about labels and marketing and promotion for for restroom operators I met Curtis Ingalls, who's been a guest on the show. And it's just full of really interesting people. And there are a lot of Clubhouse rooms dedicated to that podcast space. So if you're interested in joining Clubhouse, flick me a, a DM and I'll hook you up. I'll end this session. I've been going for about 30 minutes. It, it was scheduled for 45, but um, I, I pretty much got through everything I wanted to say, except where do Pink and Get Flush go from here? Well, I really enjoy being a podcaster and I really enjoy editing. That's the one part of putting the show together that I enjoy the most. And my wife will shake her head and doesn't understand how I can sit in front of the laptop for two or three hours and edit out all of the ums and ahs and the filler words and shuffle the audio around to make it flow really well. But I really love that. And I've been fortunate that Get Flushed is now starting to be recognized as a legitimate voice within the sanitation industry. The plan for season two and season three was to widen the scope and move it beyond just portable toilets, but to talk about the sanitation world. I recently interviewed Chelsea Wald. who's released a book called Pipe Dreams, which is all about the history and the future of the toilet. And there's a big movement globally that sanitation is not particularly environmentally friendly. And there's a massive proportion of the world that don't have access to fresh drinking water, washing water, or hygienic toilets. There are a lot of people still defecating by the side of the road. And the hope for the podcast was that I could perhaps broaden the spread and start to talk about some of those wider issues and implications. And I started that last year when I talked with Jack Sim from the World Toilet Organization. I've carried it on this year with my chat with Chelsea. And I'm hoping that in season three, I'll start to broaden the scope. And the reason I've done that is that it gives me a wider remit, but it's still really niche. At the same time, I don't want to completely abandon the portable sanitation world because I'm starting to really establish a presence there. And I've picked up some extra work designing, training proposals, and I'm working on a playbook, which would be like an industry guide for operators. And I'm hoping to monetize all of that. So I don't want to abandon the portable sanitation market completely, but I'm also conscious of the fact that I do need to broaden the scope to make sure that I've got longevity. Because I've got the equipment, I have started a couple of other shows. The first one was that Kiwi caravan show, and I think I've done five. five I maybe recorded six episodes of that. I've fallen away because Get Flushed has taken up a lot of time in the last 10, 15 weeks. But that Kiwi caravan show was just my short, informal, not monetized, no adverts, personal look at living on the road. It's not a blog. It's it's more about the mechanics of living on the road and the systems and the structures and why you choose a caravan over a motorhome. I'll carry on doing that. It's had maybe about 400, 500 listens so far on the four or five episodes I've released. So it's not a big show by any stretch. And then the other project was That Kiwi Podcast Show. There are currently over 400 New Zealand-made podcasts. And I know that because Lewis Tennant, who is the voice of Dr. Tennant's Verbal High's podcast, keeps an A to Z register of all of the New Zealand-made content. And it's up to over 400 at the minute. And my idea was to try and play it forward a little bit and help other people in my space in New Zealand was to run a feature episode every week where we spoke to a different Kiwi-based podcast producer or host. And we recorded the first one with Lewis, and I put the word out, and loads of people said, oh, I'll do that, I'll do that. But actually tracking them down and and recording a session with people is harder than it seems. It seems to be really easy for Get Flush, but it's really difficult for that Kiwi podcast show. I've only released one episode. So that one's on the back burner at the minute, but we set it up. We, I, I actually spoke to the New Zealand made people. There's a copyright outfit who who let you use a Kiwi logo. And they said, oh, they wouldn't register me, but they would let us use the, the Kiwi logo, Made in New Zealand logo to, to help promote the show. And they would share the show. And the idea was that different hosts would, host different guests every week it wouldn't be me talking every week it would be different hosts interviewing different hosts to try and spread the word that there's some really top rate content coming out of New Zealand it's been really helpful for me to be part of the podcast collective there's some good material has been posted and i really enjoy the fact that there is a global community that even though i'm in New Zealand living in a caravan i can be connected to people through podcasting all around the world so As I say, if you have got any questions, fire them through. And if you're keen to collaborate, flick me a DM, whether it's about coming on Clubhouse or appearing on each other's shows. I'm really happy to take that forward. I really enjoyed that broadcast, and I'd like to thank Tom and Sarah, who managed the Podcasters Collective, for the opportunity to present that episode. I'd also like to thank Ryan Granger, who signed up as a new patron this month. Now, regular listeners may remember Ryan from episode 12 in season one. He's the owner of Arcadian Sanitation, and we'll hear from him and hopefully his wife as soon as we can find time to record a catch-up conversation. Why not visit our Patreon page yourself, where you can secure early access to every episode and bonus material that's not available anywhere else. And please remember to tell absolutely everyone you meet about Get Flushed and encourage them to listen in. And if you follow the show on your favourite podcast app, you'll get every episode delivered to your device automatically every week. Once again, thank you for your time. I've been Pete and you've been listening to Get Flushed.